Our scripture reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, um, verses 14 to 17. In your Pew Bible, it's on page 822. And when they came to the crowd, a man came to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, And it will move, And nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The word of the Lord. As we mentioned before, Lent is a time of reflection, of repentance, of fasting in all forms, of examining our life in light of the cross of Christ. It is a time to ask why we are doing what we are doing. It's a time to think about human life. It's a time to think of where it is going and where in its present form it will end. We will, for instance, in this Ash Wednesday service with the imposition of ashes reminding ourselves We are dust, and to dust we shall return. Lent, then, is a time to think about our present life in light of the end. In light of the ashes, we will all one day become. The present passage is an appropriate one for forcing this truth upon us. Christ, he gives Peter a very strange command. 
in order to pay a tax, in order not to cause unnecessary offense, Jesus instructs Peter to go to the sea, cast a hook in the water, and take the first fish that comes up. Peter must then open the mouth of the fish, and inside he will find a shekel, enough to pay the tax for both him and Jesus. This, we think, is a rather odd, even a bizarre course of action. Why would Jesus pay this tax in this way? This seems absolutely ridiculous. However, before we make this assessment, before we make this claim, Lent calls us to turn the lens back upon ourselves. We are prone to much more bizarre behavior than this. Augustine, for instance, presents us with two, the two following hypothetical individuals, a rich man and one of moderate means. Augustine writes, the rich man is tortured by fears, wasted with griefs, aflame with greed, never free from care, always restless and uneasy, out of breath from unending struggle with his enemies. It is true enough that he increases his holdings beyond measure by going through these miseries, but at the same time, thanks to that very increase, he also multiplies his cares. In contrast, the individual of moderate means is satisfied with his small and limited property. He is loved by family and friends. He enjoys sweet peace with his relations, neighbors, and friends. He is devout in his piety, benevolent of mind, unblemished in character, and untroubled in his conscience. I do not know whether anyone would be so foolish as to have any doubts about which of the two to prefer. And yes, like Augustine, we hear that and think absolutely it would better to be better to be the person of moderate means. And yet each one of us goes right back to striving to become the rich man. There are many things that we might find in a fish, even without the divine intervention of Jesus. You can actually Google this. I did this week, and I was surprised. However, if we give our life to riches, we will never find happiness. God may certainly bless us with wealth, and if so, let us receive it gladly and gratefully and steward it with wisdom and generosity. But this is not to be the focus of our hearts. And perhaps this would be even giving us too much credit. Does this rich man, does he still desire riches? Yes, but, but I think there's actually more that's going on here. Perhaps he also just finds himself immersed in frenetic activity. Maybe he simply feels the impulse to work and work and work and to be busy every moment of every day. And we can relate. We are busy, and I'm not always sure that we know why we are busy. This is just what people do. This is just how we're meant to spend our time. How are you doing? Others ask us. Busy, we answer with a sigh. We become like the rich man, seeking more and getting more, which simply adds to our cares and our miseries. 
And then once we learn to carry this heavier load, we go right back looking for an even heavier burden. Why? Well, because we simply think that we are meant to be busy. If I asked you to catch a fish, if I asked you just to take an hour to catch a fish and get a coin from its mouth, you would ask me why, and you would be right to do so. However, when we are asked to spend 60 hours a week of the next few decades doing some task, often we never consider asking why. This is not to attack the dignity of work. Work is important. Work is good. Work forms us in very good ways. Work is a form of creational stewardship. Good work is a gift, and I'm thankful for the good work that this congregation is a part of. But so often, our work can uh, simply slip into busyness, into toil and frenetic activity. We've stopped asking why we are doing what we are doing. We send email after email after email. We work late night after late night after late night. We check our phone in any instant of downtime. We scroll and scroll and scroll on our phones. Even without Jesus, we may find a coin in the mouth of a fish. But we will never find happiness or flourishing or the good life in this busyness. And perhaps this frenetic activity is really just a means to distract us from the question of why. <clears throat> the philosopher R.J. Snell, he draws our attention to the vice that the Christian tradition has long called acedia or sloth. When we hear the term sloth, we may only think of, of laziness. Sloth very well might take that form, but it's just as common that sloth plays out as a kind of frenetic activity, especially in our modern culture. It's activity that fails to take into account the why of what we are doing. Snell points out that so much of modern life takes the form of being told to walk one mile, and then another mile, and then another mile. We're not told where we're going, we're just told to go. We're not told why, we're just told to march. And we see everyone else marching, so we fall in line. Peter, as strange and bizarre as his errand was, at least he knew why he was seeking a fish. Yet we remain unable to explain why we are doing even the most mundane activities. We are busy so that we can busy ourselves with more busyness. I challenge you during Lent not to answer the question of how you are doing with the response of busy. Perhaps your schedule is full. Maybe it's bursting with responsibilities that you must attend to. But friends, such fullness, though tiring, is never mere busyness. And if it's just busyness, then we have ceased to ask why. But sloth or acedia can go even deeper than simply ignoring the question of why. It can be a rejection of the ultimate why. Snell presents sloth in many ways, and one of these is through the medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas identifies sloth as 
sadness at the divine good. Our fullest and truest and ultimate happiness is found only in communion with God. But this only true form of human flourishing, this only true form of moving from the acorn to the oak tree, it doesn't move our hearts. In fact, we don't even want it. We hate the one and only thing that can truly make us happy. As Snell writes, the divine good at which sloth feels sorrow is communion with God, at being linked in loving, intimate union with God. Since union with God is our happiness and joy, sloth not only rejects joy, but finds the possibility of joy a deep sorrow. Humans are by nature oriented towards the pursuit of happiness, and consequently sloth is a rejection of our own loves. Sloth is sadness about our own loves, a revulsion in sorrow about our own happiness. This is a terrifying thought. Sloth, acedia, is a deep existential sadness. We reject the one great good that alone can give us the happiness that as humans we cannot help but seek. And so we give ourselves to a million different things that cannot do what we want them to do. Let's work and work and work. Let's travel and travel and travel. Let's exercise and exercise and exercise. Let's date and date and date. Let's make sure that we don't miss out on anything. Let's give ourselves to every bit of frenetic activity we can because who knows where we might find happiness. But this is really a deep sadness. There is only one thing that can fulfill this greatest desire and great love within us. And if we have already rejected it, we are slothful. We are sad. We are starved, and yet we look in disgust at the one food that can give us life. We are parched with thirst, but we gag at the one drink that can quench our dry and blistered throats. We are like someone who knows that they dropped their keys somewhere in the front yard, but who would prefer to just keep looking in the house because, well, in the house it's nice and warm. We know we'll never find the keys in the house, but at least we can set the temperature controls while we look. And so we fill our lives with frenetic activity. We look for happiness in places where we will never find it simply because it makes our search more comfortable. We all do this to more or less degrees, and I'm speaking just as much to myself as anybody else in this room. Do you find yourself saying, I will make time for scripture reading after this project is done? I will make time for prayer and reflection after this grant is written. I will make time for church participation after this report is in. I will make time for this or that kind of service once the budget is completed. Aquinas warns us that we are simply fooling ourselves. If you are rejecting your ultimate good now, then you will absolutely continue to do so. Your only hope is not a change in schedule or change in circumstances, but a change in heart. And this space for a change of heart is what Lent 
calls us to. It is a time of, reflect, of reflection, of fasting, of repentance. It's a time to ask, why am I doing what I am doing? It's a time to contemplate God, that one and only good that can truly make us happy, now in part and one day in full. It is a time to join Peter in seeking the fish. While we can offer no deep reason for our frenetic activity, Peter knew why he was doing what he was doing, even in the very strangest of tasks. And when we ourselves seek the fish, we seek what Christ has twice called in the Gospel of Matthew, the sign of Jonah. Christ, like Jonah, like this coin, was in the belly of the deep. Christ died. Christ was swallowed up by something much worse than a fish. He was swallowed up by death. And like Jonah, who was spit back onto the shore, like this coin that was fetched from the mouth of the fish, after three days, Christ left the tomb. Death could not digest him. Death had to spit it out, but not before he undid death. And in his rising, Christ gives us the greatest treasure of all. Not simply, to, simply a coin to pay some tax. No, he gives us his perfect offering of himself. The one offering that we can present to God himself with absolute confidence of his approval and delight. As the medieval theologian Anselm of Canterbury writes, what indeed can be conceived of more merciful than that God the Father should say to a sinner condemned to eternal torments and lacking any means of redeeming himself, take my only begotten Son and give him on your behalf, and that the Son himself should say, take me and redeem yourself. This is the treasure that we find not in the mouth of the fish, but in the mouth of the tomb. Take this treasure of Christ, Peter, and redeem yourself. Take this treasure of Christ, one ancient hope, and redeem yourself. This is the payment not just to enter the city of Capernaum, but the very city of God. This is the treasure that alone can bring us to our true happiness of communion with God. And Christ's offering on our behalf is what we are called to reflect upon during this season of Lent. We cannot do this if we are in the midst of frenetic activity. We cannot do this if we hate our greatest good in sloth of soul. No, but we can do this if we keep asking why and why and why. Because the God of Jesus Christ the God who is Christ. Lent reminds us that this God is what our life, both now and in the resurrection, is for. And very soon, perhaps sooner than we think, to dust we shall return. Let us pray. God our Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the treasure that he is. We thank you, Lord, 
that because of his suffering, because of his ultimate sacrifice of himself, we can take this treasure, present it to you, and redeem ourselves. Lord, I pray that during this season of Lent, you would impress more fully this truth upon our souls. And Lord, give us the discipline, give us the space to reflect and to repent as we think about our great and gracious Savior. Amen.